You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God of all righteousness, teach us to hear your word and heed your warning so that we might turn from our sin and trust in your Son. Amen. On the 28th of January, 1986, NASA launched the Space Shuttle Challenger. Its mission was to launch a second tracking and relay satellite into space. So the day came. Children gathered around their television screens and the whole nation stopped to watch America once again reach for the stars. On the morning of the launch, the weather, it was unusually cold. But it, did, it didn't matter. NASA went ahead all the same and at 11.38am, the Challenger was cleared for launch. As the rocket took off, expectations were sky high as the crowds looked on. In fact, as the whole nation looked on. But then, 73 seconds into its flight, the Challenger broke apart and exploded over the Atlantic Ocean. On board were seven crew and all of them died. What began as a mission with such great promise tragically ended in a scrap heap of disaster. You know, over the last few weeks, we've seen the rise and rise of Israel under God. And last week, it climaxed with the coronation of David as God's chosen king. And do you remember? As goes the king, so goes the kingdom. At long last, Israel is everything that God saved it to be. They are God's people living in God's kingdom with God ruling over them through his eternal king. The kingdom is taking off and expectations are sky high as the nations look on. But just as the challenger breaks apart and explodes within a mere 73 seconds, it doesn't take much longer for the nation and the kingdom of Israel to break apart and implode under the reign of David's son, King Solomon. And for the next 200 years, the consistent message that we see in this long and sad and sorry tale is this. If we abandon God, God will abandon us. Today, in 1 and 2 Kings, we see a kingdom divided, a kingdom depraved, and a kingdom disowned. Act 8. Destruction. Part 1. Let's look at a kingdom divided. Well, just as God had said, David one day dies. And in his place rises Solomon, his son. And you see, just like his father, Solomon starts off as a good king of Israel. He's a good king serving under God. But he's better than just good. He's also wise. In fact, 1 Kings 4 tells us that God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and understanding. Here it is, as vast as the sand on the seashore. You see, Solomon is so wise a king that people from every tribe around the world flock and come to Jerusalem just to seek out his wisdom. 
Solomon is serving as a king under God and Israel is everything that it was saved to be. Just like Adam was meant to be, Israel is a kingdom of priests. It's representing Yahweh on the stage and the arena of this world. And as the nations flock to it, I wonder if you can see how much more it's doing. Under King Solomon, Israel is not just being a light to the nations. No, Israel is transforming the nations. Israel is restoring this world to everything that it was created to be. They are the model of God's master plan for a whole new world. You see, under King Solomon, Israel is that space shuttle that is just launching into the stratosphere as the whole world watches on. You know, in the wake of the Challenger disaster, it was discovered later on why the shuttle broke apart. And it broke apart because of two rubber O-rings, effectively two large rubber bands that sealed the rocket booster. And what NASA didn't realize that was under extremely cold conditions, those rubber rings begin to erode. And so, launch day arrives, and the morning temperatures are sub-zero. The two O-rings fail. Hot exhaust gas escapes. It rips a 12-meter hole in a strut that supports a right rocket booster. And 73 seconds into its flight, the Challenger breaks apart, all because of two rubber bands, all because of one fatal flaw. You see, friends, under King Solomon, Israel is launching into the stratosphere, but it's about to break apart, all because of one fatal flaw, all because of one besetting sin. We see it right there in 1 Kings 11 verse 1. King Solomon loved many foreign women. Notice he doesn't just marry one woman from Egypt. That's where he starts out. No, it expands to 300 concubines and 700 wives from every nation and every pagan god that you could imagine. And this will be the undoing of this king. It will be the undoing of this kingdom. Because as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. Just like the two O-rings, this besetting sin will tear a hole in the shuttle. It will tear a hole in the kingdom. It will tear a hole in Solomon's throne. Solomon, at the stratospheric heights of power, stands over God and in abject disobedience. He rejects God's word. He defies God's command. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God commands Israel to not intermarry with foreign nations and they must not intermarry with you. Now, let me pause and be very clear about this. God is not concerned here with interracial marriage. That's not what he's on about. No, he's concerned about interreligious marriage. If anything, interracial marriage today is this beautiful witness to the fact that the church, the people of God, we are not united by the color of our skin but by the spirit of our God. And plus your children look beautiful as well, don't they? God commands Israel to not marry outside the people of God. Why? Because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. That's the problem. 
And we see that warning three more times in this passage, in verses 3, 4, and 9. They turned his heart away from the Lord. Do you see the problem here? Solomon's besetting sin. He loved his pagan wives more than he loved his Savior God. He loved them so much that he turned not just to them, but his heart turned to their gods. Verse 8 says that he worshipped a thousand different gods for a thousand different wives. And rather ironically, among those pagan gods was Ashtoreth, the goddess of sex. Friends, the message here is as uncomfortable as it is obvious. Do not abandon your God to marry outside his people. I would even say, do not date outside the people of God. Because you don't have to be married for your heart to be turned away from your God. I want you to notice what King Solomon doesn't say. He doesn't say, look, I'll marry Pharaoh's daughter and then I'll bring her to faith in Yahweh. He doesn't say, I'll date her and then I'll change her heart. Because in the end, look at whose heart has changed. It's not, it's not theirs. It's his. This whole idea of missionary dating actually doesn't honor God. There's no sense of what people call flirting to converting here. No, you see, instead of transforming the nations to worship the one true God, Solomon is transformed by his worship of God into a worship of many false gods. Verse 2 says that Solomon was deeply attached in love. But if I can say this, I suspect that love was selfish. Because if he really loved those many wives as he ought, he would have brought them into a relationship not with himself, but into a relationship with his God. Friends, can I suggest to you as gently as I can that marrying a non-Christian is actually the least loving act towards them. And it values our temporary happiness over their eternal joy. For Solomon, it was nothing short of abandoning God. And it's because he abandons God that God abandons him. Verse 11, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. That the picture here, right, it's of this beautiful tapestry that God now comes and violently rips in two. That's the consequence of Solomon's sin on the entire kingdom of Israel. Because as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. And after Solomon dies, that's exactly what happens. The kingdom is split in two. Ten tribes form the northern kingdom of Israel. They make Samaria their capital and they crown Jeroboam their king. And two tribes form the southern kingdom of Judah. And they keep Jerusalem as their capital and they crown Rehoboam as their king. And today we're going to look at what happens to the northern kingdom. And then in three weeks time, what we'll do is we'll come back and look at what happens to the southern kingdom. But I want us to see right now that God's kingdom is no longer one. God's people are no longer one. My gosh, God's king is no longer one. No, Israel is now a kingdom divided all because of one besetting sin. Part two, a kingdom depraved. 
I want you to fast forward 200 years from what has just happened. 200 years since the division of the kingdom. And Israel exists in the north and Judah exists in the south. Now, from what I read, uh, many of the older generation in Korea long for reunification between the north and the south. Well, over the last 200 years, Yahweh has been sending prophet after prophet to both Israel and Judah to repent of their sin and reunify as one kingdom under God. But here's the tragic reality. Over 200 years, nothing in the northern kingdom has changed. Not one bit. We see it right there in 2 Kings 17.2. King Hoshea does what was evil in Yahweh's sight. Now you've got to understand. In this time and place, Assyria, they're the military superpower of the world. And Assyria, that military superpower, they come and wage war on Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, just imagine, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, this is not news, but just imagine, it's as if China were to come and wage war on North Korea. But King Hoshea, he's a crafty politician. And in order to save his own skin, what he does is this. He subjects his kingdom as a vassal state or a slave colony under Assyria. And all the while, while this sweet-talking King Shalmaneser of Assyria, he's secretly forming an alliance with King So down in Egypt. Now, Egypt, it used to be the global superpower, but now its glory days are long behind it. So just imagine, it's as if North Korea then subjects itself as a vassal state under China, all the while while trying to cut a secret deal with Russia to save their bacon. But King Hoshea is no Frank Underwood. He is building a house of cards and now it all comes crashing down. King Shalmaneser of Assyria, he exposes this conspiracy. He besieges the capital of Samaria. And he wipes out the entire northern kingdom. I wonder if you noticed. In all this wheeling and dealing. In this house of cars between Israel and Assyria and Egypt. Hoshea, Salmaneser and so. Where is God? Where is Yahweh? Yahweh is nowhere to be found. See, what's tragic about all this wheeling and dealing is two centuries pass and Israel is still abandoning their God. They're willing to trust Shalmaneser as king. They're willing to trust So as king. But they are not willing to trust Yahweh as their king. You see, this is not just a kingdom divided. This is a kingdom depraved. And in verses 7 to 17, we catch a picture of how Israel falls so far. Because we read this and 200 years later, we think to ourselves, my gosh, what have you been doing for 200 years? And now we find out. Firstly, Israel worshipped other gods. We see it right there in verse 7. This disaster happened because the people sinned against Yahweh their God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And here it is, because they worshipped other gods. Do you remember back to Act 5? Covenant. Grace precedes the law. Uh, Grace says, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. The law then says, do not have other gods besides me. 
live in light of your redemption. That's what they're called to do. Or think back to what Joshua told Israel. Guys, look back on your redemption and remember that you are a people saved by grace. And because you've been saved by God, obey Him, follow Him, worship Him, glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. But that's the last thing that Israel does. No, Israel sins against the God who saved them. They reject and rebel against the God who redeemed them. Instead of leading the nations to worship Yahweh, they are led by them to worship idols. Just look at verses 8 and 11. Israel lived according to the customs of the nations. They burned incense there on all the high places, tragic four words, just like the nations. You see, Israel, they were supposed to be the model of God's master plan for a whole new world. They were supposed to lift this world out of their sin, but here they are being dragged by the nations down into the pits of hell. And the worst part about it is they're not being dragged. They themselves are running headlong into idolatry. You see what's going on here, friends? Idolatry is motivated by a desire to live like this world. How often in our heart of hearts do we look at this world and long to be like them? How many times do we look at the corporate elites of this world and long for their success? How many times do we see our non-Christian friends in, in sexually active relationships outside marriage and long for their experience? We will never say it publicly. But in our heart of hearts, we know. See, friends, we are called to lead this world to our Saviour, not be led by this world into sin. But that's exactly what happens to Israel. And in these verses, God is crying out to them, You were the chosen one. I called you to destroy sin, not join it. Bring glory to the kingdom, not leave it in darkness. You are my child, Israel. I loved you. But what does Israel say to God? I know some of you know exactly what I'm going to say. Israel says to God, I hate you. Israel quite literally joins the dark side. They abandon Yahweh. They worship other gods. In verse 16, they worship creation rather than the creator. And in verse 17, they even practice the occult and sacrifice their sons and daughters. The extent of their idolatry and their immorality is shocking. But I think the greatest condemnation of idolatry has to be found right there in verse 15, doesn't it? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Rene Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. MasterChef and The Biggest Loser say you are what you eat. God says you become what you worship. See, if you worship your physical health above everything else, your identity, I'm sorry to say, will deteriorate and waste away with your body. If you worship the approval of people, your identity will wax and wane with the tides of their approval. But if you worship the God of holiness, righteousness, and love, then friends, you will be holy, righteous, and loving. 
because you become what you worship. Israel worshipped worthless idols, and so they became a worthless people. Why is Israel a kingdom depraved? Because they worshipped other gods. But secondly, and far more seriously, and you might not think it's as serious, but actually this is the core issue, they ignore God's warning. They ignore God's warning. And isn't that the constant thread of sin that we've found right throughout this story? Eve sins by failing to accept God's words of blessing. Adam, I'm sorry, Abraham sins by failing to trust God's words of promise. Israel sins by failing to obey God's words of covenant. David, Solomon, and all the kings of Israel sin by failing to submit to God's words in the law. And now the northern kingdom sins by failing to heed God's warning. In verse 13, we see that for, gosh, 200 years, God has been sending prophet after prophet after prophet to warn his people. And all of them come with one consistent message. Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and statutes. Turn and trust. Or as Mark 1.15 would say, repent and believe. For the last two centuries, God has been calling his people home. He's been warning them of a judgment to come. You know, in 1977, nine years before the Challenger launched into space, NASA was already aware that the O-rings had a potentially catastrophic flaw. In fact, in October 1985, just one year before the disaster, a group of engineers wrote a memo to NASA warning that at extremely low temperatures, the O-rings would fail. And it's for that very reason that this group of engineers recommended no launch. But the engineering management and NASA ignored the warning. They ignored that warning by an engineer whose name was Alan McDonald. And because they ignored that warning, the Challenger exploded and seven crew died. I can imagine when they first got that memo, when they first got that warning, it wouldn't have been great news. This sets back our plans to launch the space shuttle. Friends, it may not feel like it at the time, but a warning is an act of love. A warning is an expression of kindness. But in verse 14, just like management and NASA, Israel ignores that warning. They would not listen. If you look at your Bible, notice that progression. They do not listen. Then they do not believe. Then they reject God's word. And finally, they abandon God's commands. And in abandoning God's commands, they abandon God himself. And because they abandon God, God abandons them. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the Bible has the power to change your life. The message of the Bible can save you from hell and bring you to heaven. And in the message of the gospel, God promises to forgive your sins and wipe your slate clean. He promises to give you a new life, a second chance and a fresh start. It's great news. 
please, please don't ignore these words. Please don't neglect these words. Please don't abandon these words. Because in the end, if we abandon these words, we will abandon God. And God is warning us that if we abandon him, he will abandon us. You see, it doesn't have to be that way. If we hear God's words, if we heed God's warning, if we turn from our sin, trust in our Savior, Jesus promises to forgive us our sins and bring us home to God. It is all too easy to hear this message and ignore this warning. For at the end of church to sort of go, well, that was nice, meh, and just walk away. Please, I'm begging you, don't do that. You will be abandoning far more than you realize. Brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow Christians, I suspect that in this second round of isolation, it's actually all too easy for us to indulge in old vices and indulge in besetting sins. We feel depressed, lonely, and just flat. And so what do we do? We find comfort in alcohol, excessive gaming, and pornography. And we need to hear God's words. We need to heed God's warning. Solomon turned away from God because of his besetting sin. And with every prophet who warned Israel, Israel's refusal to listen hardened their hearts more and more. They did not listen. And so they did not believe. And so they rejected God's words. And so they abandoned his commands. You know, for many people who struggle with an addiction to pornography or any form of serially entrenched sin, I'm sure you have heard God's warnings more times than you care to count. And every time you hear that warning, it's as if those words just fall on hard hearts and deaf ears. Friends, be very careful. After all, it was Solomon's sexual sin, which was the very cause of him abandoning his God. He chose the goddess of lust over the god of love, Ashtoreth over Yahweh. Hear God's words. Heed God's warning. Turn from your sin. Trust in your Savior. My gosh, do something. Do something tonight. Israel abandoned God. And so God abandoned them. That's exactly what we find in part three. A kingdom disowned. Look at God's immediate response to their sin. It's right there in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel. Just pause there for a moment. The Lord was very angry with Israel. I mean, this is a reality with which we need to reckon. We cannot medicate ourselves on nice sounding, but ultimately incorrect and false platitudes. Like God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. That's simply not true. God hates the sin and he hates the sinner in one sense. God is personally angry with all those who reject his word and worship other gods. Sin is a personal affront to a holy God that receives justly God's righteous wrath and holy judgment. God doesn't judge sin in abstract. No, he judges sinners. And we see that judgment in God abandoning and disowning his people. Notice that thrice repeated refrain, verse 18, he removed them from his presence. 
Verse 20, he banished them from his presence. And verse 23, the Lord removed Israel from his presence. This is the very same judgment that Adam and Eve received when they rejected God's word and seized after God's glory. They were banished from the Garden of Eden. They were cast out of the presence of God. For their sins, they were abandoned by God. That's how the Bible describes hell. It's the place of outer darkness. It's a place of total separation from the God of life and light. Hell is the ultimate abandonment by God. And it's the fate of everyone who rejects God's words and worships other gods. And that's the fate of Israel, because from this very moment, the northern kingdom, it ceases to exist. They are cut out of the kingdom. They are abandoned by God. And they are scattered throughout Assyria. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel. Chaff. 200 years ago, God ripped the tapestry of Israel in two. And now 200 years later, he casts half the tapestry into the flames. I assure you, I don't enjoy preaching on this stuff. But notice how there it is, how much it is in our Bibles. How important it is to know. Friends, God does not delight in the death of the wicked. But can you see that Israel had 200 years to turn back to God? And each and every time God sent a prophet, each and every time God warned them, they ignored him. And no warning was strong enough to soften their hardened hearts. The only words of hope we find in this entire passage, they're found in verse 18. Only the tribe of Judah remained. And we read that and cling to it, don't we? For such a dark passage, give me something. Only the tribe of Judah remained. Maybe, just maybe there is hope through this southern kingdom. I mean, Judah, verse 19, is just as sinful as Israel. But in three weeks, we're going to see that in their story, God has not ultimately abandoned his people. Yes, God hates our sin. God hates the sinner. But through Jesus and ultimately, well, through Judah and ultimately in Jesus, we see that God might hate the sinner, but he actually forgives the sinner. He loves the sinner. He accepts the sinner. Jesus is abandoned by God instead of us so that we might be accepted by God together with him. But at this point in the story of God, we come face to face with a brutal reality. If we abandon our God, our God will abandon us. A kingdom depraved will be a kingdom disowned. Do you remember the name Alan MacDonald? Alan MacDonald was the name of one of the engineers who signed that recommendation of a no launch for the Challenger that morning. 20 years after 1986, Alan McDonald is cleaning out storage in his attic and he stumbles across a box full of documents all about that disaster. And he decides to write a book, Truth, Lies and O-Rings, Inside the Space Shuttle Challenger Disaster. 
in an interview with NASA in May 2012. This is what McDonald says about his decision to write that book. Quote, I decided that's what's better than thinking about what could have been and should have been is to make sure it never happens again. I decided that what's better than thinking about what could have been and should have been is to make sure it never happens again. Friends, God has included this disaster in 1 and 2 Kings for you and me for a reason. He wants us to not just look back and think about what could have been and should have been. No, he wants us to look forward and to make sure that at least in our lives and in our church, it never happens again. I want you to know, whatever your struggle, whatever your sin, we do well to hear God's word and heed God's warning, to turn from our sin, to trust in our Saviour. Act 8, destruction. Let me pray. God of all righteousness, teach us to hear your word and heed your warning so that we might turn from our sin and trust in your Son. Amen.